You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around looking at me. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, oh, yes. I'm better. He's denying Snap out of it. If they call me Mr. Boy's best friend is his mother. You have no style. You can bark all day, little dog. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. And welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Hope everybody had a great week. I survived a weekend of extreme extroversion. And if all goes well, I will see little of anyone or anything until Monday. Mama needs to recharge her batteries. This week on Movie Theater Movie Reviews, we've got Moon Age Daydream. This is the documentary about David Bowie's life, and holy hell, what a life indeed. All sense of time and place and continuity dissipates the second this film starts. It is a fantastical look into who Bowie was and told in a manner that I think David Bowie would have loved. If you even kind of liked this dude or his music, highly recommend. Absolutely loved it. This week, we cover the true story of the exorcism of a Maryland boy and how it inspired what many people believe to be the scariest film ever made, The Exorcist. Whether or not you're a paranormal believer, a skeptic, or on the fence, I'm going to initially present this story as if what has been reported is 100% factual, as that is the story that inspired the film. But whether or not you believe any of this is up to you. With that, let's take our places. It's showtime. While every Christian faith believes in the devil, the Catholic Church is the only form of Christianity that believes that not only can the devil walk among us, he can also inhabit the human body. And only through a rite of exorcism, a ceremony exercising extreme faith, might purge the prince of hell and return him to his kingdom of fire and brimstone. Known only as Roland Doe when the news was made public, or internally within the church as Robbie Mannheim, the young man that would serve as the inspiration for The Exorcist was born in June 1935 in Cottage City, Maryland, a suburb of Washington, D.C. Young Roland was an only child with a love for board games. Knowing this, his beloved aunt bought the young boy a Ouija board and taught him how to use it. His aunt, you see, was a bit of a spiritualist and taught Roland her tricks of the trade, believing it would be a great hobby for the boy, who was described as high-strung by many that knew him. She'd spent hours herself attempting to contact the dead, and nothing bad had happened to her, so why would anything happen to her nephew? Strange events began to occur in the Doe home starting on January 15, 1949. Roland was with his grandmother, whom also lived in the house, and the two heard a dripping noise start coming from her bedroom. As they attempted to find the source, a nearby painting of Jesus began rattling on the wall. 
By the time his parents returned home, the chaos in the Doe family grew to include scratching on the walls, which the family described as nails dragging across wood. They chalked it up to rats in the walls and went to bed, later putting out poison in an attempt to kill the rats, but the sound persisted. A week after the mysterious sound started, Roland's beloved aunt died suddenly, and the devastated boy used his Ouija board regularly to try to contact her. Shortly after this, the scratching stopped. But the noises hadn't stopped. They'd merely shifted. One night, Roland began hearing squeaky shoes walking around his bed. Next, the sound of feet that stomped as if they were marching. And it wasn't just Roland whom could hear these noises. The rest of the family did as well. On another night, Roland, his mother, and grandmother lay in bed together, terrified of the sounds. And Roland's mother, in a moment of bravery, asked the entity that if she was their dearly departed sister, aunt, daughter, to knock three times. In response, three, quote, waves of pressure passed through the trio. Mrs. Doe then asked for four knocks, and they felt four waves, seeming to confirm their suspicions. After that, they began to hear a scratching sound coming from the mattress. Then the bed began to violently shake. The ends of the top sheet reportedly looked as if they were being held by an unseen entity. The scratching continued for weeks after this night. And the events were no longer contained to the house, either. At school, Roland's desk began sliding uncontrollably throughout the classroom, obviously causing all sorts of chaos and disruption. Papers and books would also fly around the room. Roland would stop going to school due to his classmates teasing and accusing him of doing all of this for attention. Roland was reportedly quite the prankster. Things were escalating at the Doe house, too. Items were flying across the room. Roland's clothes were found strewn throughout the house. Roland swore to his family that he was not responsible for any of this. This was more or less confirmed by the fact that Roland was flipped violently out of a heavy armchair one night while he was sitting in it. Kind of hard to throw a chair you're sitting in 180 degrees. The Doe's sent Roland to a series of mental health professionals, all of whom said the same thing. There was nothing wrong with Roland Doe. And yet, the activity persisted. Next, the Doe's visited their Lutheran minister, Luther Miles Schultz, for help. He also initially believed the boy was pulling an elaborate prank. Soon after, the Doe saw Roland being attacked by the being and ran to his aid, only to be stopped by a dresser that slid across the door. The family watched helplessly on in horror as their son was tortured by this entity. The screams that night were heard by the neighbors, and soon the news had spread across town about the Doe's situation. Hearing this, Schultz, who had long been interested in paranormal psychology, now offered to watch the boy for a night to keep an eye on him and give his family a break from the chaos. That night, Schultz and Roland slept in the same room, but in different beds. Around midnight, the minister was awakened by Roland's bed violently shaking. Roland himself was awake, but still as a stone. Schultz managed to get the boy off the bed and ushered him into the kitchen for a midnight cup of hot chocolate, the official sponsor of being attacked by a demon, I guess, before retiring once more. Roland didn't get back into bed. Rather, he sat in an armchair with his knees to his chest. Schultz would later describe the boy's demeanor as trance-like. Then, the chair slowly tilted forward, ejecting Roland from its upholstered embrace. With Roland still in a daze, the minister tucked him in on the floor and left him be. 
Three hours later, Schultz awakened and watched in horror as the blankets and Roland were being dragged under the nearby bed. When Schultz told Roland to stop, he told him he wasn't doing this. As if in response, Roland's body, now under the bed, began involuntarily striking the springs under the mattress. Schultz managed to pull him out, finding the catatonic boy's face cut by the springs. Schultz now had to consider the fact that Roland very well may be the victim of malevolent forces. During the day, Roland was devoid more or less of creepy goings-on. Whatever was attacking him seemed to thrive in the darkness. Roland continued to be attacked with scratches appearing on his body in the shapes of letters, leading those involved to believe that something was trying to communicate with them. Now, Lutherans believe in exorcisms, but according to the teaching of Martin Luther, the monk whom caused all the Christianities to split, and whom Lutheranism closely models their beliefs after, an exorcism is performed merely by making the sign of the cross. It's also typically administered during their baptisms as a sign of a new life as a Lutheran or a Christian or what have you. They also kind of believe, the more liberal scholars of this faith anyway, that the exorcisms performed by Jesus in the Bible, which is where the belief in exorcisms come from, were performative, a way for Jesus to appeal to the local superstitions where he did said acts. Demonic possession, according to the Lutheran faith, is considered almost impossible. Not improbable, but improbable adjacent. Schultz was pretty sure he'd come across the improbable situation. He suggested that the Doe family consult a Catholic priest to get help for their son. Now, despite what the movies would have you believe, oh, the irony, the Catholic Church actually performing an exorcism is incredibly rare, and there are a ton of steps to go through before you get to that point. There are significantly more now because of cases of exorcisms going horrifically wrong, but back in 1949, the first step was typically a house call from the local parish. This came in the form of 29-year-old Father Edward Albert Hughes, who, once hearing the story from Roland's father, realized this was out of his league. In the meantime, he offered the family holy water, a candle, and some prayers. Roland's mother would call the priest the following day to inform him that they'd followed all the instructions to the letter, but when she'd sprinkled the holy water and lit the candle, the flame immediately shot up to the ceiling, forcing her to almost immediately snuff it out. Later, the family found the holy water vial shattered. Father Hughes told them to try again, and a short while later, Mrs. Doe called him in a panic. Before she could explain the situation, the base of the phone reportedly smashed itself to pieces. Father Hughes then contacted Reverend Patrick O'Boyle, the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., and told him what was happening. Despite not being trained and being completely unprepared, O'Boyle told the young father to perform an exorcism. In late February 1949, Roland was sneakily admitted to Georgetown Hospital, an institution attached to the local school and a Catholic institution. This is not the last time you'll hear from somebody at Georgetown. The mother superior of the hospital, knowing what was about to go down, made sure no records were kept of the boy's presence. We're talking about it, so clearly that did not happen. Roland was strapped to a hospital bed, and Father Hughes began reciting the exorcism prayers. The rite was a short one, as Roland managed to get one hand free of the restraints, Jimmy loose a bedspring, and then slashed the father's arm with it. He screamed in pain, ceremony kaput having clearly failed. The wound would require over 100 stitches, and Hughes would spend the remainder of his life in service to the church haunted by his brief career as an exorcist. He also reportedly never regained full use of that arm. 
Despite, quote-unquote, no records being kept, word soon got out that Roland had not only been given an exorcism, or part of one anyway, but that he'd also maimed a priest. People became wary of the family, leaving them to wonder if they should just move. As Roland's parents discussed this idea, they heard Roland scream from the bathroom. When they went to investigate, on his chest had been scraped the words Lewis and Saturday. That Saturday, March 5th, the Doe's boarded a train for St. Louis, Missouri, where both Doe parents had relatives. On Monday, at one of the uncle's houses, a group of them sat down around a homemade Ouija board to attempt to get answers from their dearly departed sister. At this point, the family still believed that Roland's aunt was the perpetrator of these acts from beyond the grave and couldn't fathom why she'd be torturing her beloved nephew in this way. During their session, a bed in the room was thrown across it. The family could also hear scratching coming from Roland's mattress. The family soon enlisted the help of another Lutheran minister, whom told them to just go straight to the Catholic Church, which they didn't want to do because the first exorcism had been an unmitigated disaster. But they didn't really have much of a choice, so they settled with Jesuit priest Father Raymond Bishop. If you don't know, Jesuits are a brotherhood within Roman Catholicism. Meeting Roland, Father Bishop was certain that the boy was possessed and consulted his colleagues. This included Father Reinhardt, who didn't want to rush an exorcism and recommended Bishop do some further investigating. After interviewing the family in their home on March 9th, during which time the family omitted the fact that Roland had been given a prior exorcism, Father Bishop did a basic exorcism on Roland and sprinkled holy water in each room before the boy retired to bed. As Father Bishop was leaving, the sounds of Roland's screams echoed through the house. They entered the room to find Roland lying stock still on his mattress, which was frantically shaking. This carried on for 15 minutes, stopping when Bishop entered the room to sprinkle holy water in the shape of the cross, but the shaking restarted soon after. As soon as the priest left the room, Roland screamed, which was discovered to have been in response to an unseen figure scratching a zigzag pattern on the boy. Father Bishop brought another colleague, Father William Bowdern, to witness the chaos the following evening. Bowdern had some reservations about the situation until he and Bishop began researching the whole demonic possession thing. According to their doctrine, there are three stages of possession, infestation, obsession, and finally possession. By their math, Roland was firmly in step two, and the priests vowed to find an expert exorcist before Roland became possessed by the entity that was attacking him. Five days after sitting with the does and witnessing the paranormal activity firsthand, Bishop wrote to the local archbishop explaining the situation, and two days later he decided that Father Bowdern would perform the act of exorcism on the boy. Bowdern was woefully unprepared for this task, but soldiered on. The archbishop further demanded that this whole thing be kept top secret. To prepare for the exorcism on March 16th, Bowdern attended Mass, went to reconciliation, which is when you confess your sins, and then spent the majority of the rest of the day in prayer. He was also required to fast. That night, he, Father Bishop, and a Jesuit pupil named Walter Halloran returned to the Doe residence to perform an exorcism. Despite the Archbishop's wishes, Bowdern instructed Bishop to keep a record of what they did in case anyone needed it in the future. Each armed with a massive tome called Roman Ritual, one of the official liturgical books of the Catholic Church, the men, followed by the other members of the Doe family, proceeded into Roland's room. 
After sprinkling holy water and saying some opening prayers, the moment the priest began reading from the Roman ritual, the mattress began to shake and Roland was attacked. In front of all of them, the word hell materialized on his chest. The word go appeared on his abdomen and an X on his leg followed. Roland later began to convulse and babble incoherently until the priest doused him in holy water again, snapping Roland out of his state. He told them he just dreamt he'd been fighting with a huge red devil who wanted to throw him into a fiery pit. After two hours of exercising, the priest remained with Roland, whom fell back to sleep, and the three prayed over him until 5 a.m. on the 17th, at which time they stood to leave. The moment they rose, Roland snapped up and began singing in a hauntingly disturbing voice. The priest stayed another two and a half hours, after which time the sleep-deprived men returned to their daily routines to appear as though nothing was amiss, since this was super off the books. For four grueling evenings, Roland's exorcism continued, and it became clear that despite their efforts, a possession had almost certainly occurred. Roland's voice would alternate from a deep bass to a high-pitched, squeaky one, and he continued to sing his creepy songs. He also became violent, baring his teeth and spitting on anyone who entered the room. When they tried to hold him down, the boy would try to bite their hands. He said things reportedly so foul, the priests could not bring themselves to document them. During the prayers, which were given in Latin, a language Roland couldn't understand, at the symbolic parts of the prayers, Roland would reportedly urinate on himself as if responding to them. Making seemingly no progress, Father Bowdern recommended that Roland convert to Catholicism. He and his father relocated to the rectory where Bowdern and Father William Van Rue could take it from there. Once there, the group began the Litany of Saints, an ancient Catholic prayer. Once more, Roland began to spit and thrash and fight the men whom couldn't hold the 13-year-old down. Van Rue, whom was new to all of this, told the others they were being too rough, and Halloran, whom was also present, released Roland's arm. Big mistake. Roland proceeded to break not only Halloran's nose, but Van Roo's as well. Roland's eyes reportedly remained closed throughout the entire attack. Later, Roland would tell Father Bowdern, quote, I'm in hell. I see you. You're in hell. It's 1957. Despite almost constant prayer by the Jesuit priest, it became clear that the conversion and exorcism had failed. Roland and his father returned to his uncle's on March 26th. For a few days, it was uncharacteristically quiet. But then... Four days later, Roland came downstairs complaining that his feet hurt and that everyone should come up to his room. Once there, Roland sat up in bed and began frantically tracing letters as they watched. His cousin wrote down to the best of her ability what slightly incoherent babble was being spelled out. Quote, I will stay 10 days, but will return in four days. If Roland stays, gone to lunch. If you stay and become a Catholic, it will stay away. Gertrude. God will take away four days after it becomes ten days. God is getting powerful. The last day I will leave a sign on my front. Father Bishop, all people that mangle with me will die a terrible death. Fathers Bowdern and Van Roo arrived at the house around 1 a.m. after being alerted to the new developments. They began to pray, as that had been helpful thus far, and Roland asked for a pencil. They grabbed one for him, as well as some paper, and Bowdern soon realized their error. They'd stopped their prayers to do what the demon had asked. Most of what Roland proceeded to write was nonsense, but things he scribbled included a drawing of a man next to the words, quote, dead bishop, as well as the phrase, you may not believe me, then Roland will suffer forever. 
Bowdern attempted a Hail Mary, no pun intended, and attempted to baptize him again. On April 1st, the day of the baptism, as the family drove to the church, Roland attempted to take hold of the wheel and steer the car into a lamppost. The only thing that saved them was the uncle's quick work with the emergency brake. The family pulled up to the church with a screaming, spitting, and maniacally laughing Roland in a ripped suit. Bowdern pulled him into the rectory and threw ice water on his face to gain some semblance of control. Another frantic exorcism rite occurred in lieu of a baptism, during which time they managed to get Roland to renounce Satan. The end. Just kidding. The next day, Roland smashed a basin and a lamp. Bowdern and a new priest, Father O'Flaherty, managed to administer First Communion on Roland, and it reportedly took five attempts to get him to swallow the communion wafer. Despite being filled with the body of Christ, Roland continued to scream demonic nonsense. Out of options, the family placed him in a mental ward where he continued to worsen. On Easter Sunday, Roland attacked several more priests, and Father Bowdern was called once more. When he attempted his upteenth exorcism, for the first time a deep voice emanated from Roland, which would later be coined as, quote, the devil's voice. The next day, the group of Jesuit brothers arrived to wage, quote, spiritual warfare on the demon inhabiting Roland. The room had reportedly become so frigid that Bowdern was forced to wear a coat during the proceedings. Roland's face had become so distorted, it was reported that he looked like a completely different person. During this session, Roland, in his devil voice, told the men that communion, quote, wasn't big enough and that he'd always be inside Roland until he said, quote, one big word. What that word was, none of them knew. On April 18th, Father Bowdern had a revelation. The demon had once told him he couldn't understand Latin, only the language of whom he'd possessed, so in this case English. All the prayers that had been said up to this point had been in Latin. Catholic Church services wouldn't change to everyone's mother tongues until 1965 with Vatican II. Bowdern, who had lost 40 pounds during all of this, gathered his crew, this time Bishop and O'Flaherty, and convened at Roland's bedside at 7 p.m. that very same day. This time, while the prayers would remain in Latin, Roland was told to reply to them in English. Roland fought the rites as usual, chucking a crucifix that had been forced into his hand across the room. But slowly, things appeared to shift. Roland at one point asked O'Flaherty to teach him Latin, and the priest taught him Ave Maria and the Hail Mary, which Roland was eventually able to recite. By 9.30 p.m., Roland asked for a rosary so that he might pray. Soon after, he fell into a sleep-like state, but not before complaining that the Catholic medals around his neck were burning him. At 10.45 p.m., Father Bowdern finished the last prayer of the ceremony. As if in response, a new voice burst out of Roland, saying, quote, Satan, Satan, I am Saint Michael, and I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominus, immediately, now, now, now. Bowdern later assumed that Dominus was the, quote, big word the demon said Roland would never say. Dominus can mean possessor, amongst other things, master being among them. Roland arrived for several more minutes, after which time he whispered, he's gone. Everyone present would claim that they felt the demon leave as well. Roland later told the priests the fantastical dream he'd had that night of a figure surrounded by a bright light and carrying a flaming sword whom banished his demon back to his cave. Roland attended mass and received communion the very next day and once returning to his room took a nap. 
When he awoke, he reportedly rubbed his eyes, asked where he was, and what was going on. Once the words left his mouth, a, quote, loud sound was heard by everyone present in the hospital. The priest took this as a sign that it was all over. Once Roland left the hospital, his room was barred shut, with strict instructions that no one should ever enter there again. When the hospital was demolished years later, the workmen came across the strange abandoned room, which still held the booklets for the rite of exorcism in a desk drawer. This entire story was kept widely secret until 1993, but author William Peter Blatty would have unprecedented access to the exorcism diary kept by Bowdern and Bishop, which helped him write the 1971 novel, The Exorcist. Blatty based his novel specifically after the teaching of Father Bowdern, who was a professor at St. Louis University, in addition to all the other stuff. Blatty had been a student at Georgetown University when he first heard rumors of the tale of Roland Doe from one of the Jesuit priests who worked there. He even reportedly managed to get a copy of the diary, you know, the one that wasn't supposed to exist. Blatty graduated from Georgetown in 1950, so this couldn't have been long after this whole debacle took place. Blatty also collected newspaper clippings about what had happened because, of course, people had found out about it. Cottage City, where Roland was from, was not far from Georgetown. Additionally, Blatty based some of his novel on the Loudon and Louvier possessions, both of which took place in France in the mid-1600s. Fun fact, the Loudon possessions involved a sect of Ursuline nuns, which was the sisterhood that founded my Catholic high school. Other inspirations included archaeologist Gerald Lancaster Harding, whom in part inspired exorcist character Father Marin. Harding had excavated the caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls had been found and whom Blatty had met when traveling in Beirut. In the novel, Mary's first name is Lancaster. So, when it comes to the novel and ultimately the film, the first major difference between the story of Roland Doe and Reagan and the Exorcist is, of course, the fact that the Exorcist deals with a 12-year-old girl named Reagan and not a 13-year-old boy. Some sources say 14. They're wrong. He was 13. He was almost 14, but he was 13. And also, Reagan, instead of having the large family and the family support like Roland did, was made the daughter of a single working mother. Do with that what you will. Like Roland, the paranormal activity surrounding Reagan begins with poltergeist-like activity as Reagan's mental and physical state begins to deteriorate. She becomes increasingly violent, and her mother initially believes she's acting out because of her recent divorce from Reagan's father. In Roland's case, it was because he was a prankster. Like Roland, they did psychology and psychiatry tests on Reagan to find the reason for the shift in her personality, but eventually Chris, Reagan's mother, turns to religion in the form of a Jesuit priesthood. Father Karras, a priest going through a crisis of faith, answers the call to discover what ails the young girl. As far as anyone knows, the 360 head spin or Reagan crawling up the walls never occurred with Roland. And Reagan, while her face is slowly jacked up, never had words appear on her body in the manner Roland did. Roland's face also reportedly never got super jacked up, just very contorted. 1973's The Exorcist, the adaptation of the book, was directed by William Friedkin, and this was his follow-up to his Academy Award-winning film The French Connection. 
The novel and the book follow each other pretty closely as Blatty himself wrote the script. The only thing he really changed was he narrowed the scope of the story to Reagan and doing away with some of the side stories and characters or just heavily reducing them. Believe it or not, if you've seen the film, the more disturbing parts like the crucifix going into her chamber of secrets was actually massively toned down from what was in the book since an actress close in age to the actual Reagan would be playing the part. There's a lot to unpack at a later date when it comes to the paranormal and weird and jacked up things that happened during the production of The Exorcist. Also a lot of fighting between Friedkin and Blatty. Friedkin got fired at one point, fun fact. But those are tales for another time. In fact, some consider the production of The Exorcist to be cursed. When The Exorcist released on December 26th, 1973, that's right, this movie came out the day after Christmas, it set box office records, which was a shock to Warner Brothers, who hadn't even bothered to show it to critics before its release because they were confident it was going to fail. I guess, you know, if they thought it was going to do well, they probably wouldn't have put it out the day after Christmas. In fact, they were so wrong that within a month, The Exorcist was Warner's most successful film to date. There were reports of people vomiting, fainting, running, screaming out of the theaters and the like in multiplexes all across the country. People would stand for hours outside theaters in frigid weather in hopes to get a ticket to see The Exorcist. The Catholic Church saw a sizable increase in attendance in the wake of the film's release, which is probably why they didn't really shit on the movie as much as they could have when it came out. Most of the criticism remained within Catholic periodicals. Can't be mad when, you know, something drives attendance up. And, you know, in a community not really known for recognizing horror films, Blatty won an Oscar for his adaptation of his own novel. All of this due to the mysterious case of Roland Doe. Now back to Roland. In 1993, the book Possessed was released, revealing for the first time the full quote-unquote story of what happened to Roland. This book was penned by Thomas B. Allen and was written thanks to his access to Father Bishop's diaries documenting the case. The book received swift rejections from the people whom actually knew Roland. In fact, a Maryland historian named Mark O. Sasnick questioned the novel's authenticity altogether and proceeded to uncover a different Roland than the one who been portrayed in the book, as well as several historical inaccuracies within. Roland was known to be a mischievous trickster whom loved to mess with his classmates. He was also a spoiled little shit, reportedly. He was also apparently a super accurate spitter, as one of his favorite pastimes was challenging others to spitting contests. This led to him having apparently really good aim, so when all these reports of the priests getting spit on from 10 feet away apparently was something Roland could do before the demonic stuff, so while they Chalked it up to demonic possession, very likely just a 13-year-old boy being a 13-year-old boy. One former classmate, while corroborating the desk story, also added that Roland hated school and was often quite disruptive. The book had further claimed that Roland had lived in the wrong town, that full-on exorcisms had occurred in the family home in Maryland, which they had not, and the book failed to acknowledge that most of the stories he constructed this narrative from were based on hearsay. The one that I just recounted to you is present in the book based on a true scary story by Dr. Lee Miller who combined all uh, just a ton of different sources to give the most probable story if this happened at all. It also turned out that some of the priests witnessed the boy scratching letters into himself with his own fingers, but they presumed it was part of the manifestation and not a spoiled only child whom took a prank too far. 
According to Opaznik, quote, to psychiatrists, Rob Doe suffered from mental illness. To priests, this was a case of demonic possession. To writers and film slash video producers, this was a great story to exploit for profit. Those involved saw what they were trained to see. Each purported to look at the facts, but just the opposite was true. In actuality, they manipulated the facts and emphasized information that fit their own agendas. In 2021, a magazine called The Skeptical Inquirer revealed the true identity of Roland Doe. His real name was Ronald Edwin Hunkeler, and he had died the year before in May of 2020 of a stroke just shy of his 86th birthday. After the whole demonic possession, Hunkler grew up and became an engineer for NASA, a job he held for 40 years, and even contributed to the Apollo space missions of the 1960s. That's right, the boy who inspired the exorcist grew up to help put a man on the moon. He also held several patents, including one that helped space shuttle panels withstand extreme heat. I guess he got over his hatred of school. Hunkler was reportedly always on edge that his NASA colleagues would discover his true identity. He always left the house on Halloween, believing that people would visit him and force him to relive his dark ordeal. So, was Roland Doe a diligent prankster or a victim of demonic possession? Either way, it's always a lovely day for an exorcism. Amen. Ah, defender of the human race! Oh, look down in pity. You killed your mother. Your servant. You left her alone Break to die. Shut up. I'll never forgive you. Shut up. Shut up. Bastard. Oh. I command you by the judge of the living and the dead to depart from the servant of God. It's the power. Holy water. Oh. And that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media where I post photos for each episode. I'm getting ready to program next year. So if you have anything in mind, message me, email me. I don't check them often, but I do check them, I swear. Um, For the pictures and stuff, Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, Facebook at the Tinsel Factory. And if you want to hit me up, email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there. So if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. In order to keep making the podcast, I've set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. If you can help out in any way, I would very much appreciate it. There's also Buy Me a Coffee, where you literally just buy me a coffee. This week I went to a weird one on Ventura not far from my house called the Coffee Roasters. I had oat milk that I didn't hate, which is new for me. I am slowly gaining lactose intolerant in my old age and refuse to give up milk. So oat milk or dairy pills, but I never remember dairy pills, so no dairy pills. I've also got merch. Check it out the link in the show notes. Next week, a series of shark attacks that inspired the first summer blockbuster, Jaws. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, that's a wrap. Power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! The power of